Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen continues her six-interview series on attachment and expressive arts therapies. Her third guest is professor and dance and movement therapist Dr. Christina Devereaux, here to discuss using dance therapy to explore attachment issues. Part two will be released on February 15th. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock for another episode on our series, The Use of Expressive Arts in Attachment-Based Therapy. Today, I am going to be interviewing Dr. Christina Devereaux. She is an associate clinical professor and program director for the Dance and Movement Therapy and Counseling Program at Drexel University. She has served on the faculty at Pratt Institute and in the Department of Creative Arts and Therapy and as program director for the Dance and Movement Therapy Program at Antioch University in New England, which is a part of their applied psychology program. Dr. Devereaux has been featured on national public radio and also has done training and consultation about dance and movement therapy all over the world. She's a recognized scholar, national and international presenter in the area of dance and movement therapy, particularly with attachment disorders, autism spectrum disorders, and trauma. So please welcome Dr. Devereaux to our podcast today. She will be coming right up. Well, Dr. Devereaux, welcome to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so I gave people a bit of a formal introduction of you and your background and some of the things that you've done. Sometimes I like to ask guests, what's your informal introduction? Like what drew you to become a dance and movement therapist? I found myself wondering as I was reading some of your book chapters and articles, you know, what, did she grow up as a dancer or, you know, what, 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 what draws someone to this? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I like to think my story is certainly unique to myself, but there's a commonality across most dance movement therapists that there is something within their life. And this is true for myself about dance and movement that had a particular, um, healing or transformative quality. And so certainly in my own story, um, as a child, I um, was fortunate to be able to have um, opportunity to take dance classes in sort of structured studio settings and found that particularly um, certain types of dance, I actually found to be somewhat restrictive. Um, I learned, primarily started learning around the, the format of, of, of ballet, 
And knowing that there was a right way, there was a certain way your body need to be, there were certain ways in which you needed to you needed to express yourself to be um, in in line with the with the technique. And when I was introduced to um, modern modern dance, kind of um, in my teens, I had a teacher that really encouraged me to really unleash my expressive self. So she would say, you know, swoop up the flowers and throw them over your head and opportunities where I felt that actually my, my true um, authentic being um, became, had, I had an outlet, I had a voice, I had a language. So when I, you know, moved forward in college and career, um, I knew that I was interested in the mind. I was interested in relationships and in psychology, but I also knew I needed to dance. And so I didn't know there was a thing called dance movement therapy as a profession, but I knew they needed to be intertwined within my own life. And, and then was introduced to it as a profession coming across um, uh, a, a dance movement therapist named Diane Dulake and learned kind of held on to every single word that she said around the relationship between the mind and the body and how it had a real influence and how we could connect and relate to others. So it was that coupled with growing up in a pretty um, arts, um, arts valued uh, family. My mother was an art, is an art historian. My father is a mathematician but loved classical music. So I was surrounded by the arts in general and encouraged in, in finding my own expressive voice. So simultaneous with, you know, kind of my own story along yes. with, you know, moving into an interest in clinical training or working with others and supporting others, I, I came connected to dance movement therapy and then moved to study in a master's degree and um, and then the work continues from there, obviously, which you yes. talked about in the bio. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I thought one place that could be interesting for us to start is a bit about the history of dance and movement across all cultures. You know, I've heard different people well Bruce Perry is a good one who talks mm -hmm. about this that you know dance and movement have been used across the ages as ways to deal with traumatic events and you know part of this is why there are some cultures or tribes would have a dance before a hunt and a dance after a hunt I would like to hear anything you have to say yeah. about that subject because I think it's so interesting yeah, no, certainly this is a whole podcast, I suspect, to, to talk about cultures and dance. And truthfully, I could um, talk about the history of dance and movement across cultures. But, you know, as a dance movement therapist, it's really impossible for me to be an expert on all cultures outside of my own. But I really strive to continue to be curious um, as we examine our own assumptions and biases around movement. Our clients have them as well. Um, we do know, as you just indicated, that, you know, dance has been used as an expressive form for celebration and grief and coping since the beginning of time. I mean, we even have 
hieroglyphic evidence that confirms that, right? Yes, it's, yes. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, cultural dance traditions around the world use dance and ceremony and ritual as universal ways to be communal and to join together for deep emotional expression and meaning. Yes. So, you know, this we know that human beings are relational creatures and we have a biological need to be in connection. So, and in synchrony too. Um, yes. So there's elements of dance across cultures, across time, including rhythm and synchrony and expression that support ways of joining. So, you know, when we're out of sync, our bodies work very hard to find ways to come back into sync. I mean, we can even draw on Edtronic's work here, the still face experiment, right? Or, or around how, you know, how the, those ruptures, how the, our body knows and, and works hard to come back into some interactive regulation. So the history of dance movement therapy is already resting on the foundation of these you know, historical roots uh, in, in dance and culture. So, you know, there's many colliding influences that um, supported the formation of and the development of the profession in the United States. Yes. Um, you know, so from the ancient cultural historical uses of dance as healing and colliding with Western um, perspectives uh -huh. um, around learning about psychology and the, the, the around the 40s, you know, there was a lot of research specifically around nonverbal behavior at Richie mm -hmm. Hall's work and Bird Whistle, kind of um, at the same time, the modern dance movement where there was sort of a movement away from dance as, as an aesthetic or entertainment um, uh, modality mm -hmm. to actually dance is expressive and has symbolic potential. Uh -huh. um, so these sort of colliding influences of yes. historical roots, um, you know, Western perspectives around psychology and relationship and expression, and also sort of the trend of moving away from, you know, throwing off the tights and the shoes and allowing yourself to be free and dance barefoot, heaven forbid, right? <laughs> All of this sort of collided. And um, at least from a Western perspective, right? And there were women um, in the United States and in other countries that were very skilled at dance. Um, and some of them were invited to come into psychiatric settings to teach dance or to teach um, Marion Chase is one of those women on the East Coast at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, DC. She was teaching a class called Dance is Communication mm. for post-traumatic stress disorder victims in World mm -hmm. War II. Um, these individuals were struggling with various um, challenges and- yes. And, and they just, you know, sort of through the, through what we already know from historical and cultural practices that using movement um, and, and dance was an opportunity to kind of unleash some of these expressive elements that these um, 
these individuals had been struggling to communicate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of a core assumption is that we all have a desire to communicate and to be seen. And so through um, different bodily engaged experiences like mirroring and joining and um, moving together in time and in rhythm and being in group work in communal experiences that it, it allowed um, the authentic voice kind of like it did for me, right? Mm-hmm. It, as a child to, to get, have space. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more to say about that, but that's a, that's a little starting point, I guess. Yes. Yes. And so would you say that uh, was the start of dance and movement therapy as we know it today? I would say, in, and I will be really clear in saying this, in the United States, the um, formation of the association of ADTA really was formed by several like-minded dance dancers, primarily white middle-class women uh-huh. who had a shared understanding and a knowledge around that movement had something more um, than just aesthetic that it was evoking an expressive space for individuals. However, it would behoove me to not acknowledge that the that the profession of dance therapy in Western world really was is predated by cultures and traditions yes. way before. So, you know, we're sort of again we're we're aligning with the foundation and the the clinical aspect of dance movement therapy as a profession in the United States really began in the 40s and the formation of the association was in 1966. Mm-hmm. So we can just do the math. That's we're actually still in midlife, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're we're not we're not that old as a formalized profession that has credentials and training and um, graduate programs in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's well, a lot of lot of evolving that's happening yes. alongside specifically with interpersonal neurobiology and the role of attachment is yes. really kind of informed even the further evolution of the profession. Yes, yes. And I, I, I do want to get to some of those things. <laughs> There's some important points that probably have many dance and movement therapists being like, we told you, we already knew this <laughs> kind of feeling. Um, yeah. I do want to ask you, I don't, I, I don't know if you'll be familiar with this book. I kind of think maybe you would be, but I don't, I don't want to assume it's called The Dance Cure. Um, by Peter, uh, I don't know, it's L-O-V-A-T-T. I don't want to say his name. Peter Lovett. Yes, he's a he's a researcher that is very interested in studying um, yes. the physiological and um, aspects of dance and the power well, of it. In yeah. preparation for this interview, I picked up his book and um, I thought what was interesting about what he was saying, and I, I like you, I, I think that you can intertwine this together. Um, he said he's studying the psychology of dance. He was very specific about saying that. And so I think some of your comments that you just made maybe reflect that. But as I was reading, I was like, okay, now this is a little different than, um, you know, 
what how Dr. Devereaux is framing things and, and what she's doing. So so what, what are the difference like a dance and movement therapist versus somebody studying dance psychology is, is what he says he does. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. I think um, I'm, I'm appreciating the connection. Um, we know that there are already lots of benefits around movement and dance as an expressive vehicle. We know that um, it can elevate mood. We know yes. that there's um, um, plenty of research even that um, indicates that there's um, a, a greater um, neural activity that can prevent dementia, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of, of physiological and health um, and psychological benefits of just moving. Mm -hmm. So the, the bridge here is that we're taking the, the psychology of dance, the, the, the elements that already have healing and therapeutic and health properties. Yes. And we're, we're talking about in dance therapy, we're talking about moving in relationship and that it's through the relationship with a therapist, through moving together, where, where the transformation and the, the attachment experiences and the relational work can, is, is another layer. So, you know, if we, if we, we, we know that art making in general has expressive and therapeutic benefits, but that is different than the discipline of, right, of yes. dance movement therapy or art therapy, music therapy. So I might just pull that apart and say, drawing on the evidence that already exists in the body of literature around the role of dance and health, okay. we're, we're, I could go um, into my living room and have my own cathartic, expressive, creative space and dance. But if I'm moving with another and another is my witness or my attuned um, neurobiological regulator or, yes. um, or I develop a relationship and I learn how to trust myself to expand range or open up uh, the parts of myself. This is really where the profession comes in connection. We know there's a relationship between the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. And if we can bring the two into balance, that together, that is a real therapeutic um, tool mm -hmm. and, and where the discipline um, of DMT really re relies upon. Yes. Yes. Well, we've, been reading so much both in attachment research and trauma literature that it's not about words like deep connection is 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 more about an, an emotional resonance with each other mm. you know and I think of I think of that so much with dance and movement. I mean, there's definitely a resonance, right? Of course. Um, mm -hmm. And how that can amplify that and, and bring that to, to the therapy room much more than, you know, lots of other techniques that, that we might talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking about what you're describing in terms of emotional resonance. And we talk about kind of the language of movement, um, you know, language as we think about it is kind of a collection of 
symbols or something that stand for something. But language also kind of floats in this sea of paralanguage that is carried out and beyond and above and around the words that we speak, right? So this resonant mm-hmm. field that you're describing, these nonverbal spaces. And this is really the language of dance movement therapy, where we work with the intrapersonal, the interpersonal, and the powerful intersubjective, the shared subjectivity, right? Between the bodies and the beings. Yes. Um, and so this is all that happens in between. Um, in essence, that is a dance, right? It's yes. a creative space where, yes. where we become partners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, even thinking about um, the idea of serve and return, you know, um, between um, parents and children and um, yeah, it's, uh, we, we think of it, we, we think of attachment often as a dance. There's many articles written using dance as a metaphor. And I'm like, wait a minute, like this isn't a metaphor. This is like, okay, now we're gonna concretely talk about actually dancing. We're not just talking about a metaphor any, anymore. So it's really had me evaluating all the ways I've even used that word. Mm, right. And, you know, certainly the roots of the profession came from dance from an expressive vehicle, but there's where the profession is dance slash movement therapy and, and all the iterations around how we move together. It could be, we are connecting through breath. It could be, we are connecting through, um, you know, exaggerated movement. We could be walking side by side. There's a lot of layers to how we, um, connect and find our own rhythmic connection with, with our clients. And you just um, made me think of even, you know, spatially, you know, the, the elements of dance space, you know, where do I place myself with this mm-hmm. individual? Um, can I come close? What do we know about Bowlby in terms of the role of proximity? Yes. The caregiver is so important and not just proximity towards, but that the caregivers, um, um, permission or, uh, site, uh, you know, sort of emotional, um, permission to say, explore the world. And when, and when you get stressed, you can come back and re- recharge and refuel. So there's, there's a, there's a real movement in that, right. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the circle of security literature right now. I'm having that in my head. Yes. Um, the, the folks in Seattle. So, you know, sort of this, the dance of, of uh, the, the dance of space, um, the dance of time. Um, I'm too quick, too slow. I'm abrupt. Um, an attachment work. You know, how do I how do I enter in? Am I um, am I a, approaching someone too quick, or am I um, you know time a time factor? Um, so there's a lot of layers, I think, to to dance in particular and rhythm, right? Attunement. Mm-hmm. Um, that are certainly elements that uh, are come into play in the therapeutic relationship. Yeah, there's so much about rhythm, isn't there? Um, I have a wonderful teacher and mentor named George Downing, who does a lot of teaching using video intervention therapy. And mm-hmm. he talks of, you know, when we look at these videos, you know, sometimes you'll see a, a dyad, a, a parent-child dyad, 
where this rhythm is off. Like the, the, it's almost as though the parents interrupting the play of the child rather than getting in sync with it. And it's quite interesting. And another aspect of that, um, that he teaches about that's coming to mind with language and how in conversation, you know, I say something, you say something, I say something, Mm -hmm. say something. And he, in some of the videos, as we analyze them, there'll be something off with something he calls a switching pause. Mm. Like the parent is like jumping in too quickly into that rhythm of conversation, which is not allowing the child to, to then speak. You know, it's just quite interesting, all of the things related to rhythm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're describing something we might even call a clash, right? So there's, there's a, a, a mutual attuned experience and a matching and a joining and we're, we're, we're speaking the same language, we're having a nice dialogue and then maybe something happens and we have a clash. Mm-hmm. But but we 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 move in and out of those all the time in mm-hmm. life, right? Mm-hmm. But if we've had individuals who've constantly experienced misattunements and clash and not being where their rhythm has not been followed, they internalize, right, in some way that they need to take care of themselves. And so the work as from a dance therapist perspective is to find more experiences where they can tolerate being back in relationship or tolerate and expand that window of tolerance or yes. find ways right and where i can i can um attend more to my body signals um and those kind of back and forth um back and forth mutual exchanges and dance are the real power moments, I think. Yeah. Yes. Well, Dr. Devereaux, this has been such a rich discussion so far. I'm so looking forward to continuing our discussion on this topic next week. Listeners, please join us next week for part two of our interview with Dr. Christina Devereaux and her work in dance and movement therapy. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.